Good morning, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Runners of Durango podcast. I'm your host, Robert Marks. On this episode, I sat on down with uh, local elite Maggie Yon to discuss how she got to Durango, how she started running, and everything kind of in between. I enjoyed and was very uh, thankful for being able to be welcomed into her home to record this episode and for Maggie to take time out of her busy day to make this episode happen. So again, thanks to Maggie, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. This is the Runners of Durango podcast, and this morning I'm sitting down with Maggie. Maggie, how's it going? Good. Good day. Crummy weather, but... Yeah. (laughs) I mean, again, it's funny. This is two straight weeks. I've been sitting down with someone and it's been raining outside. And I'll say it again that, I mean, I should be happy that we're getting all this, but I'm not here. I didn't move to Durango for the the gloom or the rain. Yeah. And I also don't want the winter to come back now that it's finally spring. Yeah. And and in the past couple (laughs) of days, it had finally starting to like feel like summer too. But here we are with a lot of rain again. But I guess we're supposed to be grateful and all that, right? Um, but let's get in, right into things. Maggie, just tell us about yourself, anything you want to go okay. on. Um, running background or well, any, general? We can start with you. Let's start with who you are and then let's okay. get into how your running background, how you got into that. All right. So, uh, Maggie Yunt. I'm married to Sam Yunt here in Durango. We're both from St. Louis. Then we moved to Boulder, to California, to Durango, back to California, back to Durango because it's the best place on earth. Um, I'm a twin. I got into running initially because my sister and I are both short and not very big. We were playing soccer and volleyball and kind of out, well, the sport outgrew us. (laughs) And so our senior year of high school, my dad told us we should run because he didn't want us to be sad and sit on the bench. Um, So we started running. It did fairly well and then went to college at a small D3 school at the time, which is now D2, Maryville University in St. Louis. And Maureen had always wanted to be a nurse. And I didn't want to go to college alone and be without her, but I wanted to run. She had gotten a full ride to basically an all-girls nursing college. I told her that was ridiculous. And I'd go into nursing with her if she would run with me. So we did that at Maryville, both became nurses, and both ran and had a fairly successful collegiate career and kept running afterwards, and now we're both nurses and still running. So uh, Maryville, uh, let's talk about your running there. So uh, short distance, mid distance, what, what, what were your events there? Um, I guess long distance on the track. We didn't have an official team. We team a club until my senior year at Maryville for track, and I ran 10K and 5K. <laughs> just like, I would never do that again on the track. Just lots of <laughs> turns. Too many laps. Too many, <laughs> too many <turns>. laps. <laughs> it's too much. Um, but cross country was super successful, and we had a super small team, and we all ran together, and um, it was a tight unit of boys and girls, and which, you know, we didn't bicker or fight or anything because we had a nice level of personalities mixed with the boys so uh, it was just really fun and the team grew as we kept going Um, we went from like four girls our freshman year to like 12 girls our senior year which was huge for Maryville and then the program got really big after we graduated which was super exciting to see and Maureen was actually part of that growth Um, she was um, an assistant coach and head of girls for a while which was just, and then as a, you know, as an alumni and a proud alumni, it was 
super exciting to see that and still exciting to go back. And now there's like, you know, they have a physical track as well. Like we big. used to run circles around the soccer field. <laughs> yeah. So it's really exciting to see where I came from and where the school was to what it is now. So you grew up in the St. Louis area and then went to school. Maryville, I'm assuming, is pretty St. near. St. Louis. I'm one of seven kids. My mom told us we had to go to college, live at home, and graduate with a job. Uh, and I'm assuming you did that. Then. I did that. <laughs> yeah, we all did it. So what was the time frame? So graduation, college, how long were you in there? Because then you said you eventually moved to Boulder after. Uh, 2002 to 2006. And then 2008, moved to Boulder um, with Sam. And then um, we left there in like 2011. And then we're in California until like 2015, I think it was. And then moved here. We're here only for like nine months, but loved it. Um, but Sam got a job he couldn't turn down, so we moved back to California for about a year. And we were both pretty miserable. We're like, we have to figure out how to make it work in Durango. And luckily, we didn't sell our house. Awesome. And it's just uh, super fortunate that we're here because it's such a better place to raise our son bear because I would be at the park with him and in like San Mateo and Burlingame and it's like you know is your kid enrolled in Mandarin immersion school I'm like he's a year and a half no <laughs> like, let him play so yeah it was too much pressure yeah so you haven't caught too much of that kind of keeping up with the Joneses or you know trying to push for your kids to be as advanced as possible too much here compared to where you guys were in California, or? I would not, I mean, I think if I answer that the way I'm, the way I'm supposed to, I think I would make it seem like Durango is not a place to raise an intelligent, educationally prepared, steam-operated kid, <laughs> um, which is not the case. I mean, we are so fortunate to have so many opportunities. He goes to St. Columba, which, you know, they're amazing with how they teach and how they want kids to treat each other. And then we have um, Devo, which is an amazing outdoor you know, bike program that everyone knows about here in Durango that he can be a part of. Uh, you know, every time I turn around, there's something for him. He's enrolled this summer for a steam camp at Powerhouse. Um, we definitely don't have a lack of opportunities, mm -hmm. but we're also in such a nice environment where your kid can run out and play and not have a cell phone. <laughs> Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, is how I grew up. Like, we were gone for hours picking honeysuckles and getting into, you know, trouble. Like, not real trouble, but, you know, trouble because we scraped our knee and got muddy and came home with half a shoe on. But, <laughs> like, and that's what you can do here at the same time, become intelligently prepared, ready to go anywhere collegiately when you grow up. So that's what Bear's going to be. <laughs> well, he's definitely, you know, well on his way here. I, I mean... Two very successful parents that definitely put a lot of effort into raising him, and he's he's an awesome kid. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, how much of that decision? So when you got so actually, let's back up a little bit. So your time in California, how'd you hear about Durango? And then uh, is clearly the environment for to raise bear was one of those big draws okay. to come on back. But well, what was the draw to come in the first place? And just what are the, some of the things like yeah, about Durango? Yeah, never heard about it. Just like several other people. And our friend, Matt Colley, also from the St. Louis area, was working as a nurse, um, a travel nurse at Mercy. 
we, he was like, you guys have to come out here. It's amazing. And Sam and I was pregnant with Bear. We were like, yeah, let's baby moon in Durango. So we baby mooned here. And it was, it was like, you know, I had to go to every brewery and not drink. <laughs> but like, got to be part of the environment. Got to run on the trails still. You know, we went up to Phil's World for a bit in Cortez and biked a little bit. Because um, I had a super active pregnancy, which I was fortunate to have. Um, and we're like, this is the place. Like, Matt was on it. Like, this place is amazing. And then when I came off, had Bear, came off of maternity leave, went back. We're like, we're paying, like, $80,000 a year for someone else to raise our kid. Because <laughs> you had to have a nanny. We're both working mm-hmm. full-time. Both mm-hmm. loved our jobs. Like, didn't want to leave that. But also, like, we had this kid for a reason. Like, he's ours. Like, let's, you know, how can we live and raise him the way we want to and the way we grew up? Because we both have, you know, super happy families, and uh, that's what we wanted, not to pay somebody else to do it for us. And we're like, came down at that point, I went back to work for a month after four months of maternity leave, which Stanford was amazing, like, had really well-paid maternity leave, which is a big thing right now that's in awesome. our world. Um, yeah, that's huge. So uh, got to put that out there, that it was uh, super amazing to have that. And you actually had six months uh, to use within that first year of your kid's life. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, so came down between Durango Bend. I'd been to Bend. I found it to be a little bit suburban. Mm-hmm. Didn't love the feeling as much. Um, Sam had never been. So it was basically me. I was like, Durango, that's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> so we packed up and came. So then, and then you were here for those nine months. What was that? I mean, because, okay, so you grew up in the St. Louis area and then... Was it the Bay Area, you said, in California? Yeah, so we lived on the peninsula, Palo Alto area. Our first five, six years out there, had bought a house. Um, You know, we were fortunate there as well. We lived on five open spaces, amazing trail running. Like, if you're going to live in the Bay Area, that's where I would live. Mm -hmm. Pool Valley, you know, hands down, unless you're going to live on the other side. Marin is also amazing with all the trails. Um, But it would just... uh, yeah, we were fortunate that we could sell our house. Sam could work remote. I took a job at Mercy. You know, it was a little turmoil at first. Um, we rented a place at 1201 Main, a condo, and we're like, we can't live in a condo. So then we looked at other places to rent, but the renting market, the rental market here is competitive. Like, yeah. it's just as competitive as California. We're like, oh my God, like, I don't want to pay that for like a <laughs> two bedroom nothing. So then we're like, let's buy something. So we looked around. We actually got outbid a few times. We weren't prepared, actually, for the competitive market, mm-hmm. too, that mm-hmm. real estate just in general is. So then we bought this place on the hill and are slowly remodeling it. And you set your roots on down with some pretty amazing views of, we got like a smelter right on over there, and I think and you're right at the base of test tracks, yeah. test tracks right bed. there. Yeah. Yeah, I see you guys running up in there like, all the time. That's definitely not my first place to where I'm like, oh, let me just go. Yeah, because test off. tracks is a fart lick. Like, you can't get away from it. It's never easy. You're like, <gasps> and then you're like, okay, it's a town. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's definitely makes for some super interesting running. And I don't know about your experiences in there. The first couple times I ran in there, I think I got lost a couple times. Every time. Yeah, for like a year straight. 
it's still uh, confusing. But now I have like set routes. I still get lost a little bit up there on Graven's Loop. Like if you're going up, um, what is that, Hidden Valley mm-hmm. in yeah. the Graven's Loop. I mm. always think I'm going to come out over on Ned's Hill mm-hmm. a lot sooner than I ever do. <laughs> yeah, and then you can, you can take that right and descend down Star Wars. You take the left during, and then there's an, there's, a, there's like so many other there's, connectors there's like onto four there. There's right there. It's like, I think that goes somewhere. And I've definitely ran them all at some point, but I, and I end up somewhere on accident. Yep. And I, I, it's always just like, okay, I'm going to just keep running and I'll hopefully eventually end up somewhere where I know. Exactly. But it might be like, a, like there's that one downhill if you're at the top of um, Graven's Loop before you make your decision. If you go east, takes you like directly down yeah. downhill scramble and I don't know why I make that decision all the time I always think it's going to be what I want oh, this isn't going to be so bad and then you're just flying down the shale yep. <laughs> um, so with that change from so clearly one of the consistent things I'm hearing here is that you having access to open spaces and trails was a big deal especially since yeah, I mean, yeah I'm, I've, I've honestly never really been to California but I can imagine I mean, I've lived in some in cities. Just the the feeling of being closed in and having that ability to pop out and escape into an open space is can yeah. be huge. So, um, was there any kind of transition or shift into the the lifestyle here in Durango? Or yes, how slow everyone drives. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I've learned to appreciate you drive slow enough so you can see if the tree has changed, if the leaves have turned any different shade of the green. That is. The key to driving here. Slow enough so you can recognize what the tree is doing. <laughs> Do you have any favorite trees on any of your drives in town? <laughs> no, it's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because you say that because my wife has a favorite tree on 3rd. Oh, okay. It's like, it's the one that's right on the corner of, I think, 12th. Because it's one of the first ones that turns red in the fall. And so it's, it's, a big, it's a big tall one right there, right on the corner there. So by like Smiley Building? Um, yeah, I think it's across the street from the Smiley and 12th. That's one of those churches down there. I think so. But some people are like, like, oh, this is my favorite tree in Durango. It's such, I, but I would, having before moved here, I would have never considered to have a favorite tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, running has been one of those real consistent things in your life. It sounds like what was, uh, the transition to po- from post-collegiate life like and I mean there's a lot definitely a lot going on in the world of running but what was what's your running journey experience been from that time of graduation and all and having lived in so many different places especially in a place like Boulder yeah, so after graduation I got uh, into road biking and then triathlon with Marine and then um, Big River Running was taking off in St. Louis and Ben Rosario, who now leads uh, the Hoka Northern Arizona Elite Team, was um, like co-owner, or maybe he was main, I don't know. He, major player, owned it, operated it, thought of the idea with a guy named Matt Helbig in St. Louis. And then they created a competitive uh, running team for Big River. And then Ben was the coach for it, and we got a very amazing team and got to do, you know, we went to USATF Nationals, Cross country, we you know went out there, made a big name for St. Louis on a competitive level, um, and then Ben left, and um, Matt took over, and it's become now less of a com- competitive team and more of a community. Kind of like how running has grown in general, like more people since I've graduated college. You know, there's been this mass 
of people interested in running in marathons and 10Ks. And it's like, you know, so now the stores cater to the community, which is great because um, then they had that opportunity to grow and then you got more people interested in running. But the competitive atmosphere left from that. So that team kind of dissolved on that end. They still have it on a community level. And then um, left and went to Boulder. Found it very hard moving to altitude and still training. I did not give respect enough to how much recovery you need from training at altitude. Um, so that was just kind of a crummy 13 months <laughs> of running there. <laughs> then moved to um, Bay Area, Palo Alto, Portola Valley, and got involved with, it was at the time, New Balance Silicon Valley, which is a very competitive running team in a very competitive running environment. So they have what's called the PA USATF, which is huge. Like we, it was harder than running in college. Everyone's faster. Everyone's training much harder. It was basically running D1 level, you know, wow. four years later. Wow. <laughs> um, and, you, you know, there's seasons. We had cross season. We had road season. We had track season. It was insane. And Dina Evans was the coach and ran um, New Balance Silicon Valley, which then became Strava. Um, and now Strava has since now gone back to being Peninsula Distance Club. Wow. So a lot of changes there, but always people to run with. We practiced and trained at Stanford, um, so had access to great facilities and yeah. great training partners. And, you know, and a really good group of people who came t- for postgraduate work at Stanford, also coming from all these other levels of D1 schools to train with. So it was amazing to run on that team and to be part of that highly competitive atmosphere and then came here where you have a huge community that's also extremely talented yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was actually a very easy transition um, from the bay area here there's no lack of fast people to run with it just you have to determine how much you want to hate yourself in the middle of that <laughs> run because you may not be running really fast, but you're running really fast for the amount of elevation you're gaining mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> any yeah. number of days. So was the, what was the culture? So you've experienced a lot of different running cultures from, from college, the St. Louis area, and like you mentioned, but how, how, what's, uh, what are some things you've noticed about the Durango running culture or any things that stand out to you in particular? For the Durango running, you know, an easy day running, you can, anyone will join you. Nobody is afraid of what your pace might be or, you know, or what your numbers are on paper. But when it comes to an individual training goal, um, that's very, I find that um, for each person here, it's very personal to them. And at that point, they're not going to invite you unless they know you can make it, right? So it's like, unless you can, your goal too is to run hard rock 100 let's go something crazy Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be invited to go out and run 30k at 10,000 feet right like that's not going to be a training run for you and no one's going to invite you even though you'd be like yeah I would love to shuttle up there with you and do that right I find that here where we have a very fast uh, community we have too many individual personal goals to ever have like a team of competitive runners like, I think it would be so amazing if we had a team of competitive people who wanted to go do the Boulder shootout, like that classic cross-country shootout, which mm-hmm. was like one of the first races. Or we had a team that was like, you know what, let's train really hard and go run USATF cross-country. And we would be very competitive and I think do really well with any number of individuals on a boys and a girls side from Durango. But I feel like we just have too many personal goals. 
and that that's low level, right? Like we got to pick, so everyone here has to pick hard, hard rock or Jimenez or however you say that race or, you know, something really challenging or imaging pads, which is really challenging, mm-hmm. but uh, we have a good number of Durango people doing it, but we're not going up there together. We're not all wearing the same singlet. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, advertising the fact that Durango is where you want to be and where you want to train. Mm-hmm. Do you think that comes down to a little bit of almost that that hidden gem kind of mentality of here in Durango? Yeah, like mushroom hunting. You got to keep it hidden. You don't want to tell anybody <laughs> that secret, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then... Um, What do you think about, like, one of the things I absolutely love about Durango is also that variability. The same guy that's running with you that can, you know, drop a sub 16 minute 5k on the trail, I'm on the road, is also, you know, climbing and crushing ascents, you know, on the Strava leaderboards. You got, there's a lot of people with a lot of range here. um, And there's also a lot of range in running. I mean, personally, I wish there were a little, like, if I get selfishly, I, I wish there were some more open track events to get to do because there's a lot of people who didn't get the opportunity or discovered the sport a lot later in life. Like, I'm one of those people. I never got the opportunity to really race until I discovered the sport a little while ago. And, I mean, there's a lot of variety. There's, you know, there's the narrow gauge and all the half marathons like Steamworks and Ure and uh, Thirsty 13. Um, but then you also have things like you mentioned. We've got all these different massive trail races in the area do you think sometimes it's it's maybe that there's almost too much to choose from that's right outside our front door it could be yeah we do but we don't have anything really shorter than the half marathon yeah you know there's there are 5ks but there's no competitive 5ks Mm -hmm. like they're almost all a, a community race which i hate that term it makes it feel like you know a community is just a slow person but it's not it's just like you feel bad sometimes running very fast at a 5k yeah. in this area because you're like oh I'm taking it away from someone who's really trained for this race mm-hmm. right and they're doing their fastest and they're doing so amazing I would I don't I wouldn't want to beat them I don't want to try to beat them you know mm-hmm. because then you take away from the important part of training and running for that person um, but I wish we had competitive 5k's <laughs> Having had a long history in racing, do you think the race as a competitive race for the public is is kind of dying off? Um, I think it was, and you just had you know people you know the couch to five k couch to marathon. I think has almost worn off at this point. You know, I haven't looked at any statistics or any numbers, but being involved in the races, I feel like we're just now at the point where we're starting to get more front runners again, and that people either you know did the you know, enough people have done couch to 5K and now they can do, you know, 5K to half marathon as successfully as they went from their their beginning routes. So I'm hopeful that that's the case because, you know, now you go out on a race course, some of the bigger races, and they want to serve you, you know, sugar-free power drink, you know, because that's what's in with the mass market. And you're like, that is not what I want out here on the course. Like, I want full-on you know, Gatorade. I don't like Gatorade. I want Tailwind, but you mm-hmm. can't be too picky. Mm-hmm. Anything you um, can get, right? Yeah, yeah, but I want, you know, and I want real food. <laughs> I don't want to finish and have, I think at the last race I did, I want to say, but they gave you like a fruit cocktail. My, the last thing I want at the end of the race <laughs> is a fruit cocktail that I have to, you know, peel the little plastic opening and you give me a plastic fork, which is, you know, like a ton of 
garbage. And on top of it was like, nobody wants that. That's like, hilarious. Give me an orange, like an orange or a banana is better yeah. than the fruit cocktail. <laughs> Something that, that's a classic staple of ring. That's, I, I, you know, props on the race to trying to be creative, but that sounds like a lot more of a hassle. Yeah. That's not like the first thing. I, yeah. You, you just laid it all out there. You, you push yourself to the end to get yourself across that line. And someone says, here's a fruit cocktail. Yeah. Oh, yay. This is exactly what I was craving in my own. like, I don't even have the energy to peel that plastic back. <laughs> you got to find your support crew to open that up. Yeah. Here, Sam, open this for me. So you've had a pretty successful uh, post-collegiate running career, you'd say. Yeah, I mean, I've been I'd super say. fortunate and lucky. So, um, but some, one of the things that's definitely more unique about your history with running, let's talk about stroller running. Oh, so when did that start? And talk a little bit about that for people who don't know about that. So I never, you know, my opinion is that when I had a kid, uh, my kid would adapt to my life. I'm not going to adapt to my kids. Um, you know, and I've definitely had to adapt to Bear, but it's been a learning process for both of it instead of it just being a learning process for me, right? And people don't traditionally throw their kid in a stroller and start running miles on end. <laughs> you know, once they have a baby. But um, I felt like I could do that because I did it throughout pregnancy. And your kid does not care how fast you're moving. My kid in a stroller, you know, as a six-week-old infant, was not at any, you know, wasn't exposed to anything more than when I was walking with him as opposed to running. So, like, I couldn't do my kid. I knew in, in my mind I couldn't do my kid any harm because... I was pushing the stroller faster. You know, all these people have very many opinions about running with your kid in a stroller and you're going to cause brain damage or whatever. And you're like, how am I going to do it? I'm on the same road as the mom that's walking the stroller. Like, I'm just going a little faster. So that was my opinion of it. And I wanted to keep running and I'm not going to pay somebody so I can go run. That's dumb in my mind. <laughs> um, I, we just bought the things so we could make it work. So we got a Truly Chariot stroller, which is amazing. Everyone should have it. It comes with, you can buy an infant insert so you can start running basically right away. Um, and that's what we did. Started running with it. And then Sam joked at the time the 10K stroller record had just been beaten. I forget uh, the girl's name, but, you know, a very solid runner. But she borrowed someone else's baby, so it became, like, an even bigger joke. And we're like, I should, I should do it. Like, that should be my goal for maternity leave before I go back to work. So at four months, it was, like, three and a half months I did that and broke the record, but it didn't become rectified, unfortunately, because we were missing some video of the attempt, the Guinness World, Book of World Record attempt. But a lot of my Strava track team members came out and ran the race with us and were witnesses, and it was really fun and entertaining and then just keep running with the stroller did a workout yesterday with it and bears now four and 44 pounds and <laughs> it's really difficult wow yeah oh my but we did 15 by a minute and you're just like it's not supposed to be that hard <laughs> but like again i'm like it's part of my life and you know it makes me stronger right um you know i might not be getting the leg speed that i should be having but that's when take him to the track and he'll do a track workout you know his own track workout and I can get some leg speed but again I'm not paying somebody so I can I can run he's just doing it too and he's exposed to it and it's been super exciting like when he could start learning words it was like you know I'm, he'd guide the run should we go left should we go right should we go to bread should we go to Durango Joe's should we you know and so now it's like no let's go to the park I'm like yeah let's go to the park so 
what's the furthest park we can run to, right? And so like that's what we pick, or we play we play a stroller bingo a lot. So we'll before we leave the house for the run, we'll make a, draw pictures of you know what we think we might see out there. And Bear picks really ridiculous ones. So I find myself running these extremely odd loops to find like a gray cat <laughs> or, <laughs> or the yellow submarine car. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have seen it around. <laughs> Which unfortunately is always parked either near Horace Gulch or Twin Buttes. And I'm like, those are not great places for us <laughs> to run. a little bit further. <laughs> Maybe not today there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been fun. Yeah, I think everyone should run with a stroller. It definitely uh, humanizes you. Um, you have to take a lot of breaks sometimes, but uh, it's fun. Your kid gets to see so much too. They're seeing the same. Like, why do you run to see something, right? Yeah. Like, I might, yeah. you know, I might go run on the trail without the stroller and see a bear. Like, how cool is that? You know. But if we're running out on this on the trail, we might see a bear too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the river trail. That's true. Um, but we're also going to see other people, or we're going to make stops, or we're going like he's going to jump out of the stroller and run for a bit, you know. Like, and I don't care. Like, what? It, so I went from running like a six thirty pace, and now he wants to run too. Yeah, let's run ten minute mile. Like, whatever. Like, he's learning, and it's so exciting to see his growth within the sport. So that's huge. I definitely run the stroller. <laughs> definitely thought a lot about. Uh, definitely because I get you guys and I get to see that and I like about, you know, a lot of people have this passion for their sport and, you know, they want to share that passion with as many people, especially someone they love so dearly as much as a kid. And there's that balance of trying to push them into something to see if they like it or not, but also don't want to push them so that you push them out of it. Um, that's really cool to hear just about how, you know, it's like, Oh, you guys are doing it. I want to do it too. And, uh, I hope my kids have the same type of reaction because this is let me tell you this is not at all a sport I thought I would love (laughs) at all in fact I was just on my Facebook memories thing it popped up today I was like I ran my first eight miles like my first half marathons in like a month or so this is crazy and 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 now I run ultra marathons for fun yeah so (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's so and there's so many directions running can take you and you don't you know I don't know I, I think it's always fun it's always a new experience I think and it's nice to be able not to feel selfish about it because running is extremely selfish. Like going out and running for three hours is a selfish thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you can bring someone else with you, it's not selfish. Like yeah. sometimes when I go on those longer runs, I'm like, you know, I better bring the dogs just to make myself feel better. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And it can, it can, and it can, it can just, you can spiral down into that. You know, like it's that selfishness so quick. It's like, all right, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are this, and Tuesday, yes, Thursdays are this, and now yeah. I gotta fit it in this time and this time, and um, yeah, you can definitely get really tunnel vision. Yeah. With that. So it's nice to have dogs and a kid. <laughs> Cannot have tunnel vision. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a lot of perspective. A lot of things you gotta keep your eyes open yep. for, like gray squirrels and yellow submarine cars. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since you've come back to the Durango area, what's been your f- and you've done and won a lot of races here uh what's your favorite race uh like race course that you've done and which is your favorite race memory from the durango area oh well that's a really hard choice uh, we have great trade but it's probably it's thirsty 13 matthew puts on amazing races i know you you know he's the race director for multiple events but thirsty 13 is perfect because it ends at my favorite brewery so it ends at scott <laughs> You do get beautiful views. You get like three and a half miles of dirt road, and it's 
it's challenging. Like he markets it as being this downhill race. Now give them that. It feels easy those first few miles, but those rollers kick your butt when you're looking at late night horse. And then to come down that really steep hill and then to climb again at the finish. <laughs> Such a kick <laughs> in the It's a very difficult course, but it's exciting. I've had multiple good memories there. I've won it twice. Um, right? Yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, and last year, my goal was to break 120. I just really wanted to break one. I've never broken 120 in a half marathon. And I was like, it would be so cool to do it in my favorite race course at altitude to end at my favorite brewery. And I did it. It was like 119.50. But I'm like, that counts. That's the mark. It is that sub is 120. The mark. And I did it. And it was like, God, it was so exciting. Like, I, you know, like breaking 125 used to be a goal for me. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I want to, I want to make this happen. And I was with the fires last summer. I was concerned because I still wanted to run Steamworks, which ended up being like two weeks before Thirsty Thirteen. So I ran Steamworks, and I was like, oh, I'll just run Steamworks at six thirty pace and make it like a good tempo run. Mm-hmm. And then I was mm-hmm. like, you know, coming into Thirsty Thirteen, I was like, did I wear myself out? Did I, you know, should I have done that? And so like, I didn't know going into it. And then like, coming down from Lake Nighthorse, I was like. To get this, you know, it's just like you get that feeling like when you know you can do something, mm-hmm. you get those goosebumps, and you haven't done it yet, but it's like just within reach. That that balance between that excitement of this could happen and that kind of like almost fear of I'm hitting a like a level of unknown. Yeah, you I don't know where I'm at. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've I've had a couple moments like that on that course in particular. I've always had a really either hard day or like a really surprising day yeah on that course because you have to hold yourself like you want to take advantage of those downhills early but you're like you also have to hold yourself back because you can really just trash your quads so you have no momentum to go back up <laughs> there, that and then there's that slight hill it's like mile eight or nine it's it's i don't know that's slight that feels punishable it feels, <laughs> it, it, in retrospect it's slight but it yeah. is it is like right in the middle of the course that one in mile like five and a half or six right before that yep. middle way aid station you yeah you turn that one's a little quick kick in the pants right there but you're you're, you're you've just come off flying down all those hills you're like this is fine this is you fine. can see the end yeah. yeah the eight one that one hurts a little bit and then those and then the photo park the is the park. worst part yes. of that oh race. it hurts oh my goodness <laughs> You, thought, you can see sky. You can see the the silos at the corner of your eye. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I love that race. Um, and then last year I won Imaging Pass, which was really fun too, to win that race. You know, I don't. You know, the heavy hitters weren't there, but I think that's part of training, right? Like you can make it to the start line or you can't. So I think that's you know a challenge and a win in itself if you can make it to the line. Mm-hmm. And then. It was just really fun to fly down to the other side and to tell your ride and to win. And you know, there's like you don't get anything for it. You know, it's not it's not a race. What is it? It's, it's the run. I think yeah, imaging pass yeah, run. run. And it's the most challenging, difficult thing because you can run so fast. Um, but when you're coming up like the last two miles, you just see like the train of people walking because it's you know, at 12.5 or whatever and 13.1 when you get to the top and oh, no one can breathe. So <laughs> steep. really steep. And then you get there and you have your chicken noodle soup and you just get to fly down that hill. And I'm not a very good technical descender, but that day, last year, I was. <laughs> and I really it. came together. It. It, it came, came together. together. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not... 
an easy descent. There are some real sharp rocks on yeah. that portion of the pass. Especially that first mile. That first mile, I did get passed by a girl, and I was like, oh, I can't leave this whole thing and let her beat me. <laughs> 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 you know? So it's like, I keep going. So, got her back. Okay. I don't think I have much else, except quick lightning round. Okay, so this was actually a suggestion by a, que- uh, by a listener. Okay. So it's a bunch of random questions that don't really have much to do with anything. So I'm going to fire them off, and just the first answer is off the top of your head. Okay. Okay. Cake or pie? Cake. Pancakes or waffles? Neither. Oh, okay, okay, time out. Let's explain that. Whoa, you're not, you're not like a breakfast kind of like... I'm not a breakfast person, but like, I'd rather have... You know, a bagel with salmon and cream cheese. Okay. I just feel like the waffle pancakes is a waste. Like, where's... Unless it's, like, coming top with, like, sausage or bacon. Like, where's... I just need something more. I'm going to be hungry, like, ten minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Track or trail? Trail. Okay. And what's your favorite race distance? Oh, um... Probably half marathon. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, okay, last one. What's your... Do you have a bucket goal race? No, I have nothing for this year. <laughs> nothing at all. There's no race at all in the whole world where you're like, one day I'm going to do that. No, I want to, like, I've been so close and I've, you know, the marathon's a beast. I really want to break 250 and I haven't done it. And it really irritates me that I haven't done it. Um, but no specific course. Yeah, hmm. that's a good question. Well, I'll let you think on that maybe. Yeah. We'll have you back on when you've come on and done that. When you broke 250, we'll come yeah, back and talk about that again. Okay. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for taking out time on this rainy morning to sit down and talk with me. Yeah, thank you. Okay, that was it. That was episode five of the Runners of Durango podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go rate it on wherever you get your podcasts. And so please subscribe either on iTunes or Spotify, wherever. And please give me some feedback. Uh, I'm always looking for more people to have on the podcast. So if you're from the Durango area and you're interested in being on, let me know. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to my sister, Kristen Murphy, who designed the artwork for the podcast, and it's pretty fantastic if I think so myself. Also, if you want to get in contact with me or if you have any other ideas or you just want to hear about my adventures running in Durango, you can follow me on Instagram at trailrunningmustache, or you can follow me on Twitter at trailrunstache. Thanks, and until next time.